Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. He never says a word. He never speaks in the Bible. Some refer to him as Joseph the Silent. And I remember from the time I was in Christmas pageants myself or acting out a Christmas story, if you had the part of Joseph, it always felt like an extra, felt like a minor character. And he has no lines, technically. Some people might add them in on occasion, but often not. And yet someone has said that, that Joseph was remarkably simple, and because of that, he was simply remarkable. Emerson put it well. He said, what you do speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. And that speaks to Joseph and who he was. He's an incredible example of radical obedience if you study God's word about him. He followed God with this breathtakingly silent yet un unhesitating obedience. There are other characters in the Christmas story, but you find them at least at first questioning God's command, not being immediately, they don't have this sense of immediacy to their obedience to God until a little bit later. Zacharias is told he's going to, to have a son, and he'll be John the Baptist, but Zacharias first of all says, how can this be? I'm too old. Even Mary at first says, how can this be? I'm not married. But for Joseph, God commands and Joseph follows. God speaks, he goes. God speaks, Joseph obeys. No commentary, no excuses, no questions, no ifs, ands, or buts. He just obeys. And speaking of excuses, it's always interesting to look at all the Old Testament figures, these major figures in the Old Testament who at first offered excuses. Moses, we know, four times at the burning bush, he said, no, I, I can't do it. I can't speak. How will they know that it's you who sent me? And on and on. He keeps making excuses. Isaiah, in the great call of Isaiah in chapter 6 of his book, he says what? I am a man of unclean lips. Jeremiah basically says, God, I'm too young and I can't speak. Amos says, I'm a shepherd from Tekoa way out in the boondocks, and I don't have any creds, I don't have any competency, don't call me, don't command me. Eventually they come along and are obedient, but not at first, but there's this sense of immediacy to Joseph. Every time God calls him to do something, silently he just 
does it. He executes the will of God in his life. And that's part of why he's described in this passage as a righteous man. He simply responds to whatever God says. No excuses, no questions. He just does it. I think it's important for you and I to remember today that God is a lot less impressed with our skills, our intelligence, our talents, our drive, our hard work ethic. He's a lot less impressed with that than he is our obedience, our willingness to follow. And Joseph shows amazing obedience, even when it is difficult to do so. Now, I know you know this story and the awkwardness of it. But do you really realize the fearfulness of it, the danger of it? Not just the scandal, but the fearfulness of it. Joseph, when he finds that this woman to whom he is betrothed, but she is yet to be married to him, when he finds out that she is pregnant, based on the law, he has two options that we know of. One is that he could stone her to death, have her stoned. And this could well have been expected and even demanded by the rabbis of the day. I mean, she would be classified as a prostitute, and that is the sentence, is death by stoning. That's one option. The other would be to, accept, to, to subject her, I should say, to some kind of public shame, uh, similar perhaps to what you find in Numbers chapter 5. There's this, interesting, there's this interesting test in Numbers chapter 5 called the bitter water test. And if a husband even thinks, possibly thinks that, that his, his wife has been unfaithful to him and he becomes jealous because of that, he has a right to take her to the tabernacle before the high priest. And this is strange, but what they would do, the, the high priest would fill a clay jar full of water and then scoop up a whole bunch of dirt from the ground of the tabernacle and toss that into the clay jar, mix it with the water, and then he would upend it like so and, and force the woman to drink it. And this was done publicly. In one sense, it was an act of shame. Now, it was claimed to be a test, so to speak, because what they decided was, well, if the drink did not harm her, then perhaps, perhaps she's innocent. But if it does harm her in some physical way, and particularly if it causes her to lose the child, that suggests guilt, and she is therefore cursed. And then you act upon that curse, whether by putting her to death or, or banishing her or whatever it might be. Keep in mind, this is, this is primitive culture. Women were quite oppressed back then. It was a fearful time to be a woman. And in a situation like this, you could be guilty before proven innocent. And if a woman is deemed guilty, whether fairly or unfairly, and she obviously is one who has disgraced not just the immediate family, but, but the tribe itself, that was grounds to have her put away or put down in some severe way. And Joseph was afraid about this. Keep this in mind. He was not an automaton who just automatically followed God, at least at the outset, before a messenger came to him. He was afraid of this. Look at verse 20. He is told by God, don't be afraid. Why does God say that? Because he was afraid. Wasn't sure what to do because he, no doubt in my mind, wished there was a third alternative. And indeed, God delivered a third alternative to him. And Joseph chooses God's way immediately, not just out of his concern for Mary, but out of obedience. And he does so with, I mean, that took courage. He is bucking the system by doing that. He's going against the norms. He's going against the understood laws of the day. But he does so and he obeys. And that's what obedience means for you and me. It means I follow God's command regardless of the consequences, regardless of what others will think. 
regardless of how it might alter my life, regardless of the fact that it might make me have to give up something. There's sacrifice with that. There's consequence with that. And, and that's one thing you and I do have to keep in mind with that heavy word of obedience, that there are consequences with that. But we need not fear if we are following God's will. And not just that. Think on others in this world even today for whom following Christ bears incredible consequences being obedient to him bears incredible consequences which pale causes ours to pale in comparison my friend jim dennison was a pastor for many years in texas at park city's baptist church a brilliant fellow he taught at southwestern baptist seminary for a time one summer when he was in college he was a summer missionary in eastern malaysia and the first sunday he was there he went to the church service the worship service in a church house just down the pathway and and he went there and he walked in and it was just a jubilant worship experience going on and early in the service a young lady went forward and announced publicly that she wanted to become a follower of Jesus Christ and be baptized that very day and people were just overjoyed and they kept on worshiping kept on worshiping and then they baptized her a little bit later just as we had a baptism this morning she was baptized and then it's interesting, Jim looked over as the service went on, and he looked over by this wall, and he saw a whole bunch of luggage sitting over there, and it was all lined up, and it was kind of cluttered up over there, and, and wanting to be helpful, he thought, maybe I should go over and clear that out, uh, just so it doesn't cause anybody any problems as far as getting past there after the worship is over. But he wondered what it was over there, and he looked at one of the ministers whom he was standing with, and he, he said, what is that over there? What, what, what is that luggage? And this minister pointed up toward the front at the young lady who had been baptized that day. And he said, oh, that's hers. Uh, this morning, her father said that if she is baptized and becomes a Christ follower, that she is never to come home again. So she brought her luggage with her. Now, imagine where you and I live here. And the graces and, yes, the liberties that we have here. But, but this is a sister in Christ in another part of the world who is facing consequences for obedience, the likes of which I don't think you and I will ever face in our lifetime. Does that not suggest that maybe, just maybe with whatever area in my life right now, I need to give over to God a bit more, surrender over to Him? Perhaps it's not nearly a consequence like the consequences so many of our brothers and sisters face across the planet. Maybe, just maybe you and I can give ourselves a bit over to following Christ in spite of the consequences you and I face. And you know, another example of, of Joseph's obedience, and sometimes we don't even catch this or appreciate it, but he had to have discipline as regards at least one act of obedience. If you look at verses 24 and 25 here in Matthew chapter 1, let me just read this, and I hope we see. You might not have noticed this, maybe you have. Let me just read the two verses. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. You catch that? No union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, Joseph is a strapping young man, and, and maybe some cultures have evolved some way. We talked about it being primitive earlier on, but, you know, hormones haven't changed. Can I just say that? And he's a strapping young man. But here he decides to honor his wife and protect her and to honor God's word. And he brings her home in marriage, but he does not have sexual relations with her until after Jesus is born. Because that is what he was told to do. 
And that had to take some discipline. Now, let me, just, let, me just, let me just shine the light, because that can be sort of awkward to talk about it, but let's make ourselves even more awkward. Shine the light on ourselves for just a moment, and let me ask, is there some way that you are behaving? Is there some way that you are living? Is there some way that you are thinking even right now that is less than righteous, and you've gotten into a pattern of it, a habit of it, and it's something that you really need to give back over to him in obedience? And it could be sexual in nature, sure, or it could be just that you have some unethical boundaries between you and someone else that need to be firmed up it could be something related to work and an attitude with a co-worker or it could be work related when, when you're being tempted to do something unethical along the way it could simply be your devotional life you're kind of shirking that you're kind of letting that go and letting other people do the work for you when you yourself need to be a growing disciple in christ by having a regular time of devotion it could just be in a relationship with someone else. Whatever it might be, whatever it might be, you realize I need to be more righteous with this and in order to glorify God and to give thanks for his grace and for my own good, I need to be more disciplined in this area. Like turning off your phone. Be more disciplined. Yeah, you're fine. But, 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 but listen, I've used two heavy words a lot already obedience and discipline and i mean we we always associate those with weight heavy burden nose to the grindstone all that kind of thing you know and you might say this obedience stuff is really tough but let me just ask and if this sounds superficial you know just no don't excuse me if we can look at obedience you know through the framework of remembering what christ has done for us and really embrace that reality can we not do it? Can we not follow him as we should? Seeing it in that light, can we who are saved, who have been rescued, who have been redeemed, can we not see obedience not as a have to, but a get to? It's not something we have to do, but it's something we get to do. It is a privilege. It is a grace. It is an honor. It's a gift to be able to be a part of the people of God and to be challenged each and every day to be more sanctified. That is, to be more of a disciple of Jesus every day and do the very best we can. Knowing that at points, yes, we're going to fall flat on our faces. All of us do. When it gets down to it, you and I are all children. We're all beginners. We've got to get back up, dust ourselves off, and with God's help, move on. But isn't obedience, when you think about this greatest of gifts that we have with eternity that awaits us, can that not motivate you and me all the more to consider it a privilege, count it a joy, count it a grace to obey him as we should? It's not a have to, it's a get to. It's interesting to me if you study this because I talked about those Old Testament folks earlier on, Moses and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Amos. And it's so funny, every one of them has an excuse at first. But it's so interesting how that shifts when you get to the New Testament. Right at the beginning, Joseph is really the prime example at the beginning. Silently, wondrously, whatever God tells him, he just does it. He's obedient. And that overlaps on over into the disciples. I mean, and here's the difference because Moses and company did not have the advantage of seeing and experiencing Jesus. But look at the disciples. They see him. They experience him. He says, come follow me. And in some cases, that's all he says. And they drop things and leave. In full, full throttle, radical obedience. Paul does the same thing, doesn't he? Damascus Road experience. 
He experiences Jesus, drops everything, and goes. You and I have that same advantage of experiencing him in ways that the folks of Old Testament days did not. But how willing are you and I to drop things and go? Or perhaps to give something up in our lives. Something that we know we need to get rid of. Or something we need to take on. Something we need to take a stand for. Something we need to step up and do on his behalf. And realize that it's not a have to, it's a get to. It's a privilege. I'm going to show you a video here. And it's a guy named Robert McQuilkin. And, and it's, it's a little bit old. It's mainly black and white pictures that you'll see of him and, and probably his wife, uh, Muriel. He was the president for many years of uh, Columbia Bible College and Seminary in South Carolina. And I did not know this until after the first service. Marla Quartz, dear Marla Quartz, whom so many of us know and love, that is where she went to college. I did not know that. But this is Robert McQuilkin, who was president there for a number of years, but he had to retire all of a sudden, and it kind of threw everybody. And I wish, because we have some scenery here, you might not see the written text, but if you listen closely, you'll see what he's saying. Bottom line, what's going on is this. This is him announcing to the faculty and to his students in a chapel service that he was retiring early because he needed to be with his wife, Muriel, who had been his wife for 40 years, bright, uh, attractive woman who now was lost in the fog of Alzheimer's disease and just really, really struggling with that. And, and I want you to consider his commitment and his, his obedience to his marital vows. I'm just very moved by this piece. It's only a couple, it's just a snippet of his talk, just about two minutes long. But I want you to hear what he says and how he talks about how being there for her is not a have to, it's a get to. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, Till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. I'm just very moved whenever I watch that, how he talks about how she has been there for me for 40 years, and even if I were to care for her for 40 years, I would still be in debt. But not just that, it's so amazing where he talks about, you know, remaining true to his commitment, to his vow, to her being obedient to that. 
is not a have to, it's a get to, because it has been such a grace and such a pleasure to be a part of her life. Well, multiply that 10,000 fold and more because of what a privilege and what a grace it is to have Christ in your life and the incredible, most incredible gift he gave to you. Do you not think because of that, just based on that alone, that obeying him can be a joy and a gift and a privilege and the greatest of graces? Last week we talked uh, about waiting, kind of getting ourselves ready for Advent, and I appreciate a lot of the feedback I received from that message because a lot of us here are, are waiting through some difficult times or some challenges. And one of the passages I read from Romans 8 was this one. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I talked about that key verb there, consider, which is legizomai in the Greek. And, it, and, it, and it, it's an accounting term. It's a bookkeeping term, as I said last week. And it literally means to calculate carefully so as to arrive at a definitive conclusion. Well, I want us to, 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 to bring that into the mix here today. Because if you will calculate carefully so as to gain a definitive conclusion as to what it means to obey God through Christ because of Christ and what he has done for you, I think any of the consequences, any of the challenges, any of the sacrifices simply pale in comparison to that gift and joy of doing just that. It's not a have to, it's a get to. Can you say that in your life? this morning let's pray together and and as we enter into the the discipline of meditation here I, i really want you to consider something in your life that you realize is not as righteous as it could be it's not as set right as it could be and it could be some behavioral pattern you're finding yourself in or some frustration you're dealing with or it's a grief that you're facing It might be a relational issue, whatever it might be. I want you just in silence between you and God alone, because only you two might know about it, but I want you to take just a few minutes and consider what it is that you really need to give up as an act of obedience to Him today. And consider that, and you know what it is. Let that come to the surface of your heart and then address that to God and pray that you might be more obedient as regards that issue, if it's something you need to stop doing, if it's something you need to give up, if it's something you need to take on, if it's something you need to say goodbye to or hello to, whatever it might be, take just a moment and and meditate upon that and commit yourself to God to being all the more obedient because you get to do that, not because you have to. Lord, sometimes we want to shy away from words like obedience and discipline. We might even bristle at them, but we know what you expect of us. And we confess to you that there's something in our life right now that 
is not living up to your standard, your expectation. We confess to you that we are in need of your forgiveness. And we confess to you that we we need to have the yearning to obey you all the more. We ask that you give us that yearning. Lord, there's some of us in here who just feel spent. And it's hard simply to take the next step forward for whatever reason. And, and the word obedience is just a, a foreign one right now. It's a far away one simply because we're just trying to get through the day. We're trying to take a, another step or two. And we pray especially for those folks. But Lord, we confess to you our need for you. And we pray that uh, we do believe and help our unbelief. And we do want to obey and help us with our disobedience. Help us to commit ourselves anew and all the more now to follow your way as you so desire, not just that you would be glorified, but for our good, which you desire for us. Help us to walk more closely with you beginning now, O oh God. We pray these things in your name. Amen.